You're listening to the Built Shaves Podcast, presented by Midco Sports Network. If you're looking for a sports fix this summer, be sure to catch Bench Warmers and Midco Motorsports on Wednesday evenings at 6.30 and 7 p.m. this July and August. Great sports debate and the best dirt track racing show in the Midwest, all on Midco SN. This is how we do sports, and this is the Built Shaves Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Build Shaves Podcast. We're taping this on a Tuesday morning, July the 13th, around 10 a.m. Central Time, alongside you and the Athletics Director, Build Shaves. I'm Alex Seinert. Our second summer episode, Bill, which means that the summer is quickly moving past us here on July 13th. How are things going in your world? Hey, Alex, how are you? Yeah, the July edition, right? So this is our July, <laughs> and then I think we... I don't know. We're going to have to talk about it. I think we might be back into it a little bit more on a frequent basis. So we might uh, be. All is good. All is good. You're right. Um, Feels like uh, in the industry that we're both in, um, boy, once you go past July 4th, you know, it's all it's all coming. Right. It's all coming. So Mm -hmm. uh, um, but all is good. All is good. Yeah, that's one of our former executive producers at MidQuestSend, Nate Ahmet, who now works at Sanford, um, had always had that saying, like, oh, July 4th, once you pass that, summer's over. And we'd always give him a hard time, like, no, 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 there's still time, there's still time. But it's just such a downhill slope. Like, you get across the crest of Independence Day, and boom, it's August, and sports practices are beginning, and you're doing, for, for in our world at least, you're doing previews for football and volleyball and getting ready for this really busy live season it really does feel that way that it's really coming to, you know <laughs> it's pre, coming to a conclusion here quickly yeah pre-pod we were discussing um you know football and and all of our uh, fall sports would really be kind of get going here in a few weeks but you know just the way life has gone over the last you know five to ten years uh there's always aspects of our teams that are around during the summer it may not be full-blown practice if you will but there's something going on and so you know i've almost lost track in in a weird way as far as like when does something officially begin in some ways it, it it's a 365 almost kind of a turnover at this stage of the game. Then it's just a matter of what are some of the things you can do versus you can't do uh, when it's, I'll call it your regular type season versus uh, I'll call it your non-championship type uh, time of the year. Yeah, it's that never ending loop, isn't it? That just continues to go around much like our lives in this world as we spin around the sun and rotate. Same sort of deal with college athletics. Do you remember, by the way, when that changed, when it went from being here, here's our fall season, here's kind of our off season or, or what, what, here's our championship season versus a non-championship period where you're not really doing much. When did we see that shift, Bill? You know, I think so. Let's just pretend you're a fall sport you always kind of had a, a, some sort of a spring season of some sort, right? Non-championship and then vice versa, right? If you're a spring, you, you had something in the fall. It was really summer access, I think, has done this. And so summer access for a lot of different sports uh, has occurred. And now that has given you the 365 cycle. I, I want to think maybe about a decade ago, it really became a thing if you will. And, and I think the basketballs were really the, the frontier to this. And, uh, mm. and then other sports have kind of jumped on. And, and so now you've got sort of, again, both semesters plus the summer. And what does that look like? And, um, you know, our coaches do a pretty good job, Alex, in this sense. I, you need time away, too. Like, you, you, you know, it, it cannot be, it can't be all gas and no break. 
right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's got to be a little, it can't be pedal to the metal the whole time. You, you've got to have a 365 uh, day calendar and then figure some things out along the way and maybe make your tweaks. And certainly if we're going to talk football, right? Let's just talk football at, at this point in time just coming off the spring season, you know, and Bubba and I, and we've talked about this before in a previous pod, he was looking out, you know, 12, 15 months as far as what made sense for that program so that we were thoughtful about how we were going to practice and not necessarily just play games. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. I when you're thinking about the holistic approach to this, because again, these are student athletes and Schooling is a huge part, you know, the physical and mental toll that these sports can take is a huge part of this whole process. And yeah, making sure they've got time to be, to be kids. These are 18, 19, 20 year old kids to have them enjoy their college experience and not just spend it completely in a weight room or, or on the practice field the entire time too is important as well. And I think it's healthy for our staff and our coaches too. Uh, for I, sure. I, that you know, well. I, I do think there's a separation, um, uh, that, that needs to, uh, happen so that you know you're you're recharged right and you've got um you got gas in the tank again and so that was something that was uh you know incredibly important for all of our programs that you know uniquely played you know a fall season in the spring so uh you know I, and as we're seeing some of the other stuff like the 2020s championships in 21 you know i mean so yeah. uh you know that's a nice b-side <laughs> topic but at the end of the day we're seeing a lot of that but we needed to be really thoughtful and our sports med headed by steve westering has done a great job on making sure that we're been a resource for our coaches and our student athletes to make sure we put them in the best possible uh position yeah good stuff yeah the summer mm. uh we're going to chat a bit you mentioned competitions here this summer that should have taken place last year. We're going to chat a bit about that with Euro 2020 coming to an end, maybe a little Olympic talk, all those things, along with some Major League Baseball stuff on the B side in a little bit. On the A side, though, a couple of football things to get to, but we're going to start with name image likeness. And we've talked about this a lot on the pod in recent weeks, sort of the build up to a decision being made on, on what to do. How do we sort this out where different states have approved name image likeness? Some have not how does this work? The NCAA now has got an interim, I believe I read this correctly, kind of an interim plan moving forward. Explain where we are now after that ruling from two weeks ago. Yeah. So, you know, as we were monitoring this and I know we had discussed a little bit on the pod as far as, you know, where we thought things were going to uh, uh, end up um, at, at least in the June month or time frame. So, July 1 became a date because uh, several states around the country had name image likeness laws that were going into effect. And so the NCAA, us, the membership, needed to make sure that we had some rules surrounding NIL. Obviously, a, a change, right? A departure from what has transpired in the past where um, student athletes could not um, monetize their their name, image, and likeness uh, ever. And so this is a real amazing, um, you know, change or evolution, which is, I think, great. I, I'll be honest with you, Alex. I, I'm all in. I'm all in. But what I, where I'm a little disappointed, I'll say, is I wish we had a little bit better guidance from the NCAA as we were heading into July 1. And I know there was a working group working on it. And I think what, to some degree was ready in January to, to at least put some, put some uh, 
uh, a policy out there. And then however it played itself out as, as life. And again, I'm, I wasn't in inside those rooms. So I, it's easy for me to Monday morning quarterback here uh, on this pod. But, but what ended up really happened was an interim policy that kind of gave you a couple of guidelines, but not a lot of meat to it. And so really what it said was, Hey, if you're a, if you're a school that doesn't have a state law, you need to get your policy uh, done like ASAP. And, um, and, and it really was on June 30th that the Board of Governors actually blessed that interim policy. Oh, by the way, the next day was July 1. So we, <laughs> we've been kind of working through this. And uh, so we got word out to our student athletes and said, hey, look, if you're interested in diving into this uh, pool, um, make sure you get with compliance at this point in time. We are going to have a policy uh, in short order right now, but we want to make sure we do a good job with it and make sure it goes through all the right folks' eyes, all that uh, rot. And so we're in, we're in real time right now, Literally, we've got a draft policy that I, I think we're ready to to unleash here in, in the not so distant future. Future, but um, it, it it is fascinating for sure. And you know the the interesting part, and sorry to keep rambling on on this, but the the, the state laws, which interesting to me, is some of them could be in conflict with NCA rules, and especially as it pertains to boosters per se. So there are mm -hmm. some interesting pieces as we go forward with this. Now, the two things that supposedly are, are not supposed to happen is an induced, this is not supposed to be an inducement for recruiting and it's not supposed to be pay to play. So let's pretend you sign a deal with make it up XYZ industries. It's not that, oh, Alex, every time you score two goals, you get X amount of dollars. That's not how it's supposed to be. You have a clean sheet. You get X amount of dollars. That's not the way this is supposed to go. So, um, but without real clarity from Indianapolis, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit of a wild, wild west right now. I I'll be honest with you. By the way, XYZ Industries, a direct competitor to Vandalay Industries, if you're, if you're scoring at home, the direct, direct competition between those two. Uh, it, this sounds obviously very difficult to sort out. And, and I have a couple of follow-up questions, but let's start with this. You mentioned you're drafting a policy right now. Just to go inside baseball a little bit, what does that process look like? How do you draft something based on these guidelines? This is, this is as you said, this is new territory. This is a new frontier. What has that process been like this summer so far? Yeah, so... You know, I, I think in everything that you do, especially what I've learned in this, uh, in, in this industry to some degree, sometimes you want to be an early adopter, sometimes you don't want to be. And I felt like um, just dropping in July 1 with a policy, I, I felt um, was a bit premature for us, but we needed to make sure we got uh, – a communication out to our student athletes to say, hey, look, this is coming. It really is. And Kara Helmig and I, um, who oversees our compliance academic uh, area, our senior women's administrator, legal, uh, she's got a law degree. I mean, she, she's very accomplished in what she does. Her and I have been really working uh, on this, looking at what's happening around the country, looking at other policies, um, kind of 
in a sense, picking and choosing what might make sense for us at the University of North Dakota. And so now then it needs to go through the proper channels on campus as well. I think this is going to affect some folks, um, different departments on campus. So we've had some conversations with uh, with groups on campus to make sure that we're not missing anything. Obviously, general counsel has to be involved with it. Uh, student leaders were a part of that group as well. And so we just had to make sure we're dotting I's and crossing T's, if that makes sense. And, uh, you know, like I said, it doesn't mean that you couldn't uh, enter into some things from July 1 on. That, that part of it just needed to go straight to CARA until this policy came out. But truly, Alex, once the policy comes out, then we have a couple other things we got to figure out. We've got to figure out how do we really educate our constituencies, right? How do you get a frequently asked questions? Because there's going to be some, uh, it's going to be kind of a change or a departure from what we've done. But again, all exciting stuff. I, I mean, truly, I think things we should have been doing years ago. I'll be honest with you. I, that's where I'm at with it. But, you know, um, this is where we're at right now. So uh, we're just grinding on it. Yeah, in your official statement, you, you, you echo that. You know, it's an exciting and historic day that you said on July the 1st for our student athletes to get a chance to profit finally on their, their celebrity essentially is outstanding college athletes. You mentioned to me a moment ago, you know, we're ready to work with our students kind of on a case-by-case basis without going into any detail. Have you had students come forward and ask questions about this already? Has there been conversation with current UND student athletes about the potential to get sponsored and make a little bit of money off their name, image, and license? So we have, and they've been great. They've been great. And, 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 uh, you know, like anything else that's new, there's just going to be questions until it normalizes. And I think this will all normalize to some degree, but um, early on, Early on, I just think you got to ask good questions because you don't want to have inadvertent things occur to a student um, and you have to be eyes wide open about the implications of some things if you do make money. What does that look like, um, you know, from a taxation standpoint? Yeah. You know, what happens... uh, you know, if you sign something, how, what are the terms on that? You know, that's where you have to get some really good counsel, either from your family um, or some sort of an advisor, which is legal in this space, in this in this NIL space. Um, we can't be the one giving you that advice. That is not our role. But at the end of the day, just making sure that they're completely eyes wide open. That's probably the best case uh, that I can kind of give to you. Now, the other thing was we're going to have is we'll have a third party that will help us uh, and help the student athletes from an educational standpoint and kind of a tracking monitoring standpoint as well. But simply said, I'm just uh, like if you went to a plain whiteboard, you would say, there are team activities that I'm a part of that I need to be a part of. Let's then after you're done with your team activities and you go back to your apartment and you're wearing a, just a solid gray t-shirt. Okay. And a solid gray hat and solid gray shorts. I can now do something with, I'll call it my NIL. And you have to be careful on making sure that you're not, I guess, say, encroaching on anything that's not uh, that you shouldn't be encroaching on. In uh, the kind of the best way I, I describe it is the State Farm commercials. If you look at the State Farm commercials with Patrick Mahomes, Chris Paul, and Aaron Rodgers, 
do you ever see a Green Bay Packer logo? Do you ever see a Kansas City Chief mm. logo? Do you ever see, I guess at the time, it was probably Clippers logo or Rockets logo or Oklahoma <laughs> City logo. Or he's Phoenix been a lot logo. of places. He's been Uncle a lot Chris of places. has been a lot of places. Yeah, he's been a lot of places. But you don't, you don't see that. And those are the things that you're kind of working through right now. So I, I heard something over the weekend. And, and you know, this maybe gives you a, a – a, a, maybe gives all of us – pause on this but mark sanchez was uh doing a pod with uh colin coward and so 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 mark sanchez said that back in 04 when reggie bush was at usc someone someone was creative and was selling bush liner t-shirts as in as opposed to right uh, because it was a presidential election year mm-hmm. and reggie bush didn't make money on that and he should have he should have and and you know what if i you start thinking in those terms we we should have been doing this long ago we really should have and but but you know now as we're starting this we just got to make sure that we're thoughtful as we're going into this and uh you can go into the pool i don't know if there's a complete race to the deep end at this point in time i mean for some for some, I mean, you, you're reading about a few, right? The, the the twins at Fresno State, and there, there's a few that that were just they were ready to hit go, you know, um, uh, July one at, at midnight. But uh, but I think for our student athletes, you know, we just need to be really communicative, and hopefully, uh, we can provide them some education. It is interesting to see how, yeah, some parts of the country, maybe some student athletes were. On the forefront, you know, you see I, I, on social media, you see different people advertising, you know, T-shirts with with their face or their symbol or whatever. Different college football players or college basketball players. There's a young lady who's a college volleyball player from the University of South Dakota that signed a sponsorship deal, I believe, with a car dealership, something like that. But th- that was sort of the first one, at least in our area, that I had seen uh, in in recent weeks. Uh, last thought on this: knowing that this is, in theory, a really good thing, and you, and you hope kids can be able you know, to profit off of, uh, uh, their, their, themselves and their success, the way people have been profiting off them for a long, long time. Do you think this will get to the point where that this, this is just a very commonplace thing to be able to, you know, be watching a college football game and you see people who were playing in the game in the commercials during it? Are we going to see this with UND athletes? Is this going to be something that becomes really the norm or will this be more more niche for a while with only kind of the biggest, biggest name kids being able to be, you know, to take the most advantage of of this particular ruling right now. That's a really good question, Alex. I, so here's, here's a couple ways to answer this. I do think there'll be a commercial or two, you know, as we head in there, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if there, if there was a few. Okay. I, I, but I don't know that a hundred percent at this point, but the difference between even, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, somewhere in that range, certainly five to 10, a 10 on the outside. Um, I, I just think the platforms that you have from a social media standpoint gives you an opportunity that maybe you wouldn't have had if you were Reggie Bush back in 0405. And you know, that, that it's just a different, it's a different world, right? Like you have a way better chance to accumulate a following and then potentially monetize that. And, you know, 
I, I think it's great. I, I really do. I, I just, I, now it won't be without some bumps in the road because I think anytime you evolve to some degree, there's always going to be some bumps. But, um, you know, my sadness, okay, so my sadness through this whole thing has been we've been an association, a membership association that literally, literally legislated cream cheese off of a bagel. That actually happened, actually did. And so, but in this case scenario, we haven't probably put, I'll call it robust legislation uh, surrounding this. And I think I'm just curious now how this is going to play out as it's like begun. You know, it's like the game's begun and, you know, how do you call the game off and say, Hey, let's start again, you know, and all of a sudden someone hit a three run homer, you know, like, I I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, do I not, does that not count now? I mean, so what are we doing? And, and so yeah. that's where it just becomes interesting. Rules of engagement, right? That's what we always talk about. Got to know the rules going in. And this does feel like the rules are a little bit gray <laughs> at the moment. A little ambiguous. Correct. I, I would say that um, I anticipated having more rules of engagement um, and we got not as much as I anticipated. And maybe that's my issue. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the course of the summer. And as maybe more rules get put into place and more student athletes take advantage of this, something certainly to watch, uh, name image likeness not going away. And uh, we will see how it all shakes out. But good to know at least that it's begun and that there's a little bit of legislation in there. More pertinent or maybe more relevant to some news items around University of North Dakota athletics. Uh, Some cool football things that popped up over the last couple of weeks since our last pod at the end of June. The Missouri Valley Football Conference announced that UND set a new MVFC record with the highest GPA of any team, cumulative GPA over the course of an academic school year, 3.383. UND winning the all-academic award. Pretty impressive stuff. 52 student athletes with a 3.5 or higher, 20 with a 4.0. Kudos to Bubba Schweigert and the squad for having, you know, their eyes focused on academics this last year. Pretty cool honor to, to break a record in that conference in their first year as fully fledged members. Yeah, really exciting. Uh, so we actually went to a live in-person meeting, which is, uh, you know, amazing. Actually boarded a flight and went somewhere <laughs> and actually had a meeting, which was great. So that was the president's meeting uh, and Commissioner Viverito, uh, obviously, um, uh, was was there and uh, and uh, presented that trophy to myself and Dr. Armacost, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's our it's our uh, students that uh, obviously did the work. Um, give give our coaches a whole lot of credit um, on keeping things. Uh, you know, the the academic mission first and foremost uh, during a challenging year. And then obviously we've got support staff that uh, helps our, our um, programs and they do a, a fantastic job that's under the leadership of Kara Helmig and Andrews Freeman and, uh, and, and really all, all of the crew, they do just a, a fantastic job and uh, kudos. I mean, I, that was just awesome. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me, Alex, it's normally teams that uh, exceed and, and have success. They, they, they tend to check a lot of boxes, you know, and, you know, they did a great job in the community, obviously had a, had a, had a great season on the field and obviously in the classroom. 
One thing I thought was interesting, in the release, it talked about how four schools, North Dakota, along with Southern Illinois, UNI, and NDSU, all had GPAs of 3.0 or better. And before this season, that had only happened eight times since the league had started doing this back in 2005. Do you think... Now, again, when you think about this last year, it was unique, where you had a spring season, you didn't have a fall season, you didn't necessarily have full practices in the fall, everything was kind of up in the air. It feels like those two things are connected. Do you agree with that, perhaps, that just the guys being able to, not saying this is right or wrong, or this is how we want things to happen in the future, but it's interesting that you'd have this year that was so broken up and guys could kind of focus a little bit more on academics that they did have this kind of success, not just the UND, but around the conference. Well, it's interesting. We talked about, you know, at the at the beginning of the pod, we talked about kind of the, I'll call it the in-season and then the out-of-season. And when you're in-season, tremendous structure tremendous i mean i you know you just there, there's no if you've got to get something done you got to get it done because at the end you, you know you, hard to do your school work when you're practicing and so so again if you're traveling and, and doing all those things so i think the structure had something to do with it i really do i i mean um you know i don't say we we have slippage in in, in the off season but i think it's human nature you, you feel like you have a little bit more time and um, maybe you're not as focused on what you need to get done. And so maybe there was something that, to be said in that regard. Yeah, I think that's, that's really well said. I think that um, all of us, people listening, myself included, when you do have a lot on your plate or you do have to finish things in certain windows, procrastination becomes really difficult to pull off because you know you've got to get it done versus I've got one thing to do today. Eh, <laughs> maybe I can hold off on that until tomorrow. But for these young men, when you have that kind of structure in that setting, and, and you know there are real consequences if you don't commit to the classroom like you do commit on the playing field, you're not going to get to play. You're going to be ineligible. And so that's, it's cool to see how, again, another reason why athletics at the college level are really important and really beneficial to, you know, to provide some of those things. Yeah, and I, you know, I think a lot of folks are, uh, you know, and again, if you're a little, um, if you're half class empty, you might be saying all of this stuff that we're talking about with NIL and all this rot is, you know, going to be um, difficult for, for the college game. I, I just think it's an evolution. I, that's all. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, we have just a really unique model in this country that connects athletics with higher education. And, you know, I still believe that you can learn in any in any aspect of 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 campus and that includes both inside the classroom and outside the classroom and that makes us incredibly unique and so i sure hope the preservation of this model uh, you know happens but you know who knows life will evolve as we go but um but it was exciting to see um you know our our guys get it done and uh, really all of our programs got it done yeah. you know i just don't want to focus in on football i mean uh you know our 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 um, our spring semester was was uh, uh, outstanding, and uh, again, all of our programs are over a three zero cumulative. Our our consecutive streak uh, for a three zero or greater is, I think, up to twenty six semesters, something to that effect. It's just you know doing a just an outstanding job in the classroom. Yeah, no, exactly. We don't want to shine just the light on football because it was a really really good year for UND athletics when it comes to the final grade. But that just yeah. 
Pretty big deal when you can set a record like that in your particular conference. Football, by the way, just 53 days away now from the season opener at Idaho State on September the 4th, which is wild. Fall camp starts in three weeks. Looking ahead a little bit further, though, there was some fun scheduling news that came out on the 2023 season a week ago. UND was originally scheduled to play at Washington again for the second time in six, seven years or so. Some uniqueness happened between the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and now Washington is going to play Michigan State. And instead of going to Seattle, get to go to Boise and play on the blue turf and take on Boise State on September the 16th in 2023. I'm just curious how all this went down and from your from your chair when you got the phone call and how this tangled web of college football schedules sometimes it just it just changes on you sometimes how, how did this all go down though yeah it does change sometimes and so that's why you know when we have especially in the sport of football we are scheduled out um pretty far in a sense but things can change and so that's why you know you say well why don't you just announce your schedules from now until whatever you have them well we kind of do it the year of because even if when you're a couple, uh, even when you're two, a year and a half or a year plus out, I would say, things things can alter like this. So Jason Budakofer, who's the deputy athletic director at the University of Washington, uh, at one point was the athletic director at Southern Utah, and so I got to know him pretty well in the Big Sky days. Um, so he uh, took the position uh, as the number two at UW and they kind of were looking at their schedules and when coach Peterson departed philosophically there was a little bit of a alteration maybe on how they wanted to schedule their non-conference games and we just got kind of caught up in the crossfire that's pretty much what it amounts to I think Michigan State and UW wanted to play and Boise State was okay with make allowing that to happen so that they kind of gave up the Michigan State games but then we we were somewhere in the middle of all that. And so they needed the date that we were going to play UW on for Michigan State to play UW. That left us with the, with Boise and us with an opening. And so the same terms, same terms are uh, occurring um, where we just go to Boise and play them and UW actually pays us the guarantee. So so if you if you. Uh, for all you Freedom of Information Act folks want to FOI <laughs> the contract, it's going to say zero for Boise State, but because the actual addendum to the UW contract is the guarantee that's coming to us. Very nice. Very nice. So it'll be fun. I, I think everybody had a great time in Seattle a couple of years ago, but it's obviously cool to get to go to a different place in a historic field like Boise has, and that'll be a fun events come September 2023. So now they get added to our FBS list of opponents in the coming years. Utah State is the FBS opponent this season. Nebraska is coming up in 2022. Boise State now in 2023. Iowa State, I believe in 24. K-State in 25. And then Nebraska again in 26. So some really big time heavy hitters coming up for UND football in the years ahead. Exciting stuff. It is great. We will be one of the few schools probably to have played on the red and the blue. Yeah, that's right. And in many Very greens. Nice. And many greens. <laughs> oh, is there, I'm trying to think now off the top of my head. I know there are some FCS schools that have unique turf iterations. What Central Arkansas has the purple, I believe. And then Coast, uh, Coastal I'm, Carolina. Coastal Carolina, yes, has like the teal. Yep. So 
We haven't hit those ones up yet, but maybe in the future, now that we got Eastern Washington's red, Boise State's blue. People like to collect things. We should collect that we played on those those deals. I'll have to <laughs> check in with Brad Teague at Central Arkansas, see about a home and home. We'll have to get figure in touch. that one out. I know. Get in Coastal, touch. And then maybe Coastal will get us a guarantee game. Hey, they're you know, they've they've gone the FBS route. So uh, mm-hmm. you know what? Let me put that down as a as on my to do list. <laughs> it's a fun thing to wish for. I love when the pod gives me homework. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Bill, anything else from an A-side perspective? Any other UND or NCAA things you want to touch on today? No, I think we're good. I I think uh, we knew that uh, you and I had discussed it. We figured, you know, a good check-in maybe mid-month of July would make sense. And then, I don't know, you and I will have to knock heads and say, when uh, when do we want to start doing something uh, uh, on a more consistent basis, Uh, probably starting in August at some stage. But more to come on that. Yeah, the ramp up to the 2021-2022 academic, athletic, sports calendar. It's all happening right now. So lots of good things to chat about coming up in the weeks and months ahead. On the B side, a lot of good stuff that's happened over the last couple of weeks, including a really fun international soccer competition that was worth the wait. Euro 2020 played in 2021, Bill. You, when we touched base last, like you've been tuning in quite a bit. Talk me through the last couple of weeks and and which you made of a really exciting final between England and Italy that the Italians eventually won in heartbreaking fashion if you're an English fan on penalties. Yeah, it was a marathon, right? I mean, to get out of the group stage and then and then go into the knockout phase, I, I just it was a really it was really neat between that and the Copa. I thought both of those tournaments were were interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, what I found interesting between the two is uh tie game at the end of 90 in the Copa straight to PKs, which I found interesting. Um, not good or bad, just, just interesting that they played it differently. Yeah. I, you know, I thought England, um, cause we know so many of their players and, uh, um, I thought they had, they had a good tournament. They had a really good tournament. I, I, I still didn't really understand. Um, the, the, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Here's what I couldn't understand. <laughs> what happened to Jack Grealish? Like, like I think he's mm. really good. And I felt like it's really, he's going to be a super sub this tournament. I mean, that's what he's going to be. And I don't know. And, and even right to the end, why wasn't he taking a penalty kick? He did ask for one. He, he did say that he was willing to take one. I think with Grealish, English manager Gareth Southgate is a very conservative guy. And I think they would play, you know, defense first. And they didn't allow a goal uh, through open play the entire tournament. They only allowed one on a free kick and a set piece. So they had the best defensive record in the tournament. But he seemed to pick guys. Again, he played two holding midfielders in Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. He tended to play um, Bayako Saka. who uh, was more of a defensive attacker, like a guy who played right back at one point in his career. Um. I think he just felt Grealish wasn't going to track back and do the defensive work, even though he's this very skilled offensive player that does everything for Aston Villa in the national team setup. And when, when Grealish was on, like things happened in the offensive end. He created, he was, he had a couple of assists. He was still the most fouled player on the field, even though he'd only played maybe 15 minutes a game, but he just became, he and Jaden Sancho too, like two guys that great going forward, maybe don't have the best reputation as 
hard workers for the team on the defensive end. And Southgate chose to go other directions. And obviously, it got them to the final. I mean, they, they made it to penalties. They were one penalty miss and one make away from winning the whole thing. But you're right. If you wanted to look at the team, they only scored two goals in the group stage. They weren't necessarily this offensive juggernaut. And maybe having one or two of those guys out there a little more often might have changed the ceiling for this team. Yeah, I, 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 that's a really good description. And, and obviously, he's more, he was more in a Mourinho way to some degree. I felt like I was watching the Spurs a little bit. And, and Italy, <laughs> Italy dominated that game. I mean, I, that, that was, you know, they had one shot on net, right, uh, England. I mean, I, and again, I'm saying something that you, I mean, come on, you can't win with one shot on net. I mean, uh, like, literally, that was just painful to watch and and I I almost found myself rooting for Italy because I was so disappointed on how England was playing yeah well Italy was going for it and but but part of it is again too game script matters so much really in any especially in in football of course etc but but soccer the fact that England scored what 110 seconds into the match they scored in the second minute and you have a lead and all of a sudden the impetus to attack and add a second that dwindled a little bit. They sort of decided, let's just sit back and let's let's keep what we've got and win this championship. And again, based on their defensive record, you gave them a pretty good chance to do that. But in the end, that whole, you know, ah, we scored too early. They scored too early, really, for the for their own sake. And that allowed Italy the opportunity. And again, I thought England played pretty good in the first half, but then Italy made some changes. They put some different type of attackers on and they really did take the game over in the second half and were the much better team over the final 45 minutes and in the extra time. And they were they were probably the best team in the tournament and deserved to win. But I, game script, it's just so much. I think that changed the mentality of that match so much. So when you talk prior to the game and you're thinking strategy and you're thinking all types of things that can happen during the game script, if you will, if we score early or happen to be able to get them, I, I guess that was maybe their thought then. Then, then we're going to sit back. But I, I, I've watched this for the last 18 months it's not awesome it's like uh, if there's incoming coming for 88 minutes yeah. eventually mm-hmm. one seems to find the back of the net i mean it just happens yeah. that way and and you know if, if you're a fan of a certain team over the last 18 months watching it it always seemed to happen in the last three minutes you know and and sometimes mm-hmm. it happened mm-hmm. twice because once one comes in it's like holy cow I don't want a second one, and then it happens. (laughs) It happens again. But I would say, again, the difference, though, between Spurs and this England team was that that strategy never worked for Spurs under Mourinho. Like Again, as you said, you constantly gave up leads. With England, it did. England, it had worked. I think they had a minute where we were head of the the table, end of November, and then we went (laughs) crashing down. But it it was actually working for a second. And, uh, and, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, but for England, I, I looked at their roster, and, and that's a fair way to put it. I mean, Rashford wasn't going to get any time then. Uh, Grealish wasn't going to get any time. Sancho wasn't going to get any time. And they just were going to go in that mindset. Like, I think there were times that Kane could have come off then for one of those other creative type players. And I don't know. I, I just um, – you can't fault them. They made the finals and they went to PKs. But at the end of the day, my guess is the country over there is still sad. 
Yes, I, w- I would say so. Still sad. Been waiting 55 years for a trophy, and they'll have to wait a little bit longer. So talking game script, I found it utterly fascinating that you rolled in with two guys that you probably were going to think that were going to take PKs, but they had to defend a corner, and you took out actually two defensive players. I, I sat there and <laughs> said, if they concede right now, Garrett Southgate, he might as well, I, I don't know, just do something, go somewhere else, because I'll tell you what, <laughs> that was dangerous. Now, the flip side to that, a lot of people have said, because again, Bill's talking about how he brings on two attackers, Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho, with about 90 seconds left in the match because they're specifically going to take a penalty in this penalty shootout. A lot of people said they should have brought him on earlier because those guys were, were cold and then both missed their penalty kicks. But you are right, in that situation, yeah, it was a little bit nervy there that you got, Rashford is playing right back, you know, and he's, he's a forward. And it worked out okay. But you're right. That's, that's the, the balance. I mean, we, we saw this in the World Cup a couple of years ago where the Dutch, Louis van Gaal, switches his goalkeeper for the penalty shootout. Cold. Like, just makes the sub at the very end. And he puts a different goalie on. Like, and it worked in that particular situation. The guy had a uh, They switched out Tim Krul, uh, who played for Newcastle and now plays for Norwich. And he saved a couple of penalties. And it was brilliant. But if that goes wrong, like, what are you thinking bringing in a different goaltender? There, it's just, I think sometimes... These things, especially penalty shootouts, you know, the margins are so thin. You know, it's it's a goalkeeper guessing the right way. It's the pressure on a particular player that they just tighten up in the wrong moment. It, it brings me to this. Do you feel satisfied with this again being the way that we solve and, and come to a conclusion in these big matches? Again, this is a European championship and it's decided almost by chance in a five-on-five penalty shootout. Are you satisfied with that particular means of an end yeah i mean that's it's the rules of engagement going in i mean i I think everyone knows it i I think if 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 you don't want to get to that point play a little bit more aggressive in 120 minutes and i i do think though and maybe i'm wrong with this and maybe the the reality of we do 215 still is maybe because if there's inclement weather to some degree or or massive winds or something that we feel like we need to do two fifteens, but I do like the golden goal. Mm. So I would go on the opposite side. I like that. There's a chance if you can see it early in extra time that you can still get your way back in it. Yep. Sudden death always. And I mean, we experienced this in Fargo a couple of months ago. Sudden death really sucks when you're on the wrong end of it. It's horrible. It really is hard. It's, it's a hard thing to take because it can end just like that. But, uh, but I, I can understand the other side of it too, of like, Hey, let's just, you know, Whoever scores first, got to end this thing somehow. Next goal wins. Let's go. And, and that's that. I guess I would have been less uh, – because I think we're conditioned in America to play overtime. And uh, I thought the Copa would have been interesting if it just went straight if, – if Brazil found a way to score in the 87th minute and then all of a sudden, boom, it just went straight to PKs. That would have felt a little weirder than you had 120 – to beat somebody. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, at the end it. of the, you, yeah. literally you had two hours, you had two hours to beat someone. You didn't do it. So now you're going to go to this penalty kick thing, which here's what I would say to you though, is that is part of the game though. 
we just have to go back to the Champions League final a few years ago, which was very sad, is that, <laughs> you know, it's a 90% thing if it ticks off your uh, shoulder and, you know, it, it all of a sudden it's one nothing. And talk about game script. That was a sad game script. Mm -hmm. So that was in the second minute, too, by the way. I know it was in this. Yeah, it was very early. Yep. (laughs) So, but you know, this sounds so dumb, but it's just the truth. When you're in that moment, which is just, I can't even imagine, right? But, but you're in that moment, you've got to make the goalie save it. And in this case, Rashford did everything right. And he just missed the goal. I mean, I know he, it was inches and he hits the post, but at the end of the day, that, that is like almost checks. Usually like buying something is location, location, location. It's get it in, get it in, get it in. And if it gets (laughs) saved, then you can say whatever, but when it flies over and you don't give yourself a chance, not great. Yeah. Yeah, Italy becomes the first team ever in European Championship history to win more than one penalty shootout in the tournament, which is crazy to think of. So just congrats to them. They were great all tournament. You mentioned the Copa America, which is, again, the South American continental competition, which was going on at the same time. We had Messi going for his first international trophy up against Neymar in Brazil in the final of that match. It was really interesting to watch those two competitions and just the differences between South American soccer and European soccer. What did you make of the juxtaposition between the two continents and their approach to the game, Bill? The referee had his hands full. Mm. From the minute, Indeed. But from the minute that thing happened, boy, that wow, the, Neymar, um, he was he was going to get um, bumped uh, <laughs> off the ball. <laughs> Uh, my my favorite part about like at some point again argentina brazil uruguay chile like all of these south american teams and a lot of teams in concacaf too the teams that the u.s has to play like there's just a certain level of ah uh, boy i'm trying to think of what the pg word is for this i mean they just they, they will take advantage of of any slight and make everything into a fight if you watched like the um the concacaf Nations League final between the U.S. and Mexico. Like anytime there was anything, any whistle, any call, any non-call, seven guys from Mexico or the U.S. would surround the referee. And this was like that watching the South American tournament as well. And it always is. Like there's just there's a lot of passion, and then we like to argue in Latin America. That's just how it is. And it was so over the top sometimes, almost to the point where it really wasn't that much fun to watch. And in Europe, you get that too as well. There is some of that, but just man, it was amped up to 11 in the Copa America. Oh it man. It was, it was, it was, uh, you know, and for Argentina to win in, uh, in Brazil was just really amazing. Yeah. And, uh, they held on, I mean, uh, you know, you know, Brazil, um, uh, Brazil was kind of coming. They just couldn't, they, they couldn't unlock it and they couldn't, they couldn't score. Uh, but you know, back, back to, back to the euros, I thought Italy, you know, they probably, played the best tournament but i i do think that uh you know between them and spain and, and england it, one of those three you really had a pretty good tournament so i do feel for you know the english I, obviously they've not won a uh a, a tournament since uh, to this magnitude since 66 and so uh you know but for them to make the euros for the first time ever i was mind-boggling really 
This was their first final. They had never made the final of the World Cup or the Euros since yep. 66. And yeah, had never made the final of the Euros, period. A lot of, tor- you know, you always kind of think of them as being, oh yeah, they're in abouts around the time. But no, they like quarterfinal exits, round of 16 exits, a couple of semifinal couple runs. Semis. And then World Cup, obviously, a couple of years ago. But yep. it's, I mean, they've had a lot of, a lot of high profile flameouts. Because again, because these are some of the best players in the world and, and you're so familiar with them of playing with Manchester United and Liverpool and uh, these Chelsea, these big teams, you sort of assume that they're always on the cusp of winning stuff, but really they haven't been. The last two major tournaments are uh, kind of against the grain from what we've seen from the England team over it, the last 40, 50 years. It really is amazing the, uh, you know, having watched now, um, you know, a lot of Premier League teams um, and obviously a lot of the English players play in the Premier League, not all, but 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 most, it's just fascinating to see the roles they have with their clubs and then the roles are the roles they don't have with the national team. And sometimes it just could be a, on that particular tournament. The one guy I, that sticks out like a sore thumb to me is Grealish. I, I just, I, I would have occasionally <laughs> taken Kane off. To, and I know he's not a, a, a really kind of plays Kane's position, but he's kind of ball dominant though. And he can really create. And I just felt like uh, they didn't get as much out of him as they could have. So you're saying Nuno Espirito Santos first signing for Spurs should be Jack Grealish. Is that what you're saying? That's yeah. who they should go after. So this is what I learned. <laughs> so I kept, with their deep, deep pockets. I kept pounding the Graham Potter drum, but I think um, his buyout was like twenty million. Oh wow! Okay. So I think that, that. So here's what I would say. I think they went with someone that's experienced in the premier league will it does not have to catch up to speed at all on on you know who they're who you're playing and if it works out great if not i think they were saying like in a year or two that goes you know that that number reduces greatly and so he did a pretty good job with wolves i mean i you know now my son likes to tell me he he kind of plays a little bit like Mourinho. So, uh, so we got that going for us, which, <laughs> which I'm not sure about that. Um, but you know what? There's so much, uh, I think that, that roster will be in such transition over the, le- the next month or so. I'll be, I'll be interested to see who, who ends up on that team. And, you know, and he might play a little bit more front footed maybe than what he did with wolves. I don't know, but, um, uh, here, here, this, this, I can tell you, and I feel like I say this every year when it's about the Spurs, it really comes down to Deli Alley. Mm. If Deli Alley, I mean, I, 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 as I said to him, you know, at one, my son, at one point, I think Spurs had five guys on the English team, a, a, a national team. They don't anymore. This just in. And, uh, <laughs> and they were doing the same thing I was doing, watching the game. And so yeah. I hope that motivates them a little bit to, to want to get back to that, that level. Quick trivia question for you. How old is Nuno Espirito Santo? Oh, I think I read it. I think I read it. He, <laughs> it's a ch- kind of a little tricky. I think he's like 46. Yeah, 47. Very good. He could Because he's got this great bushy beard, which is pretty white, gray, um, balding. He, he looks like he's, you know, maybe in his late 50s. <laughs> maybe early. And uh, yet he's still in his 40s. So, but he's... You said it. He he played a very defensive style towards the end with Wolves, but he had a lot of success with that group, brought him up from the championship, and they played much more attacking football 
especially before they had the injury to their striker, Raul Jimenez, our Mexican striker, who had a serious skull fracture and then was out for the rest of the season after November. And that that really changed their destiny over the course of the year. But yeah, you're right. I think think they're going to be fine. The consensus is very good hire, a well-respected, well-liked man, very different from the man you just had in charge. (laughs) Only up, Bill. You can only go up from here. So best of luck. They're they're already in preseason. They're going to start in like a month. They're going to start games at the beginning of August. It's insane. Absolutely insane how much football these guys play. It's crazy. We have the good fortune to have to play Man City the first game of the year. So that ought to be fun. Oh, uh, good luck with that. Have fun. What's, what's Have happening fun with, with uh, Liverpool? Are they uh, are they in on any? Uh, I, I think they've been uh, at least been rumored or been linked to some uh, to some interesting players. Yeah, there've been some there've been some mild links. Um, they signed a defender from RB Leipzig, uh, a really good young French defender um, that, that is is very highly thought of, very highly regarded, and that was an area where they, of course, really struggled last season because they lost their essentially top three central defenders. Um, other than that, like they've, they've not really been strongly linked with a particular player or two. There are whispers about certain guys that you see in the Euros or, or younger players they might bring in, but it really feels like their team from this past season is basically coming back. No Genie Wijnaldum, he's moved on to Barcelona, or to PSG. Yeah, he was going to go to Barcelona, now he's going to go to PSG instead. So that's a loss in midfield. But essentially they're getting... Virgil van Dijk back. They're getting Jordan Henderson back. They're getting Joe Gomez back. They're getting Joel Matzit back. They're getting all these guys back from injury. So it's going to look a lot more like the team that we saw win a championship two years ago. The only question is they're two years older now. And a lot of those guys have got a lot of miles on the odometer. How will that all play out? So uh, we'll see. I'm optimistic as always. Klopp is still in charge and they've got a lot of good young players. And they didn't have a ton of guys who used up their summer. I mean, and they had Andy Robertson playing for Scotland. You know, they had, uh, I mean, Roberto Firmino was playing for Brazil in the Copa. You know, they had s- certain guys who played kind of bit part roles. Again, Jordan Henderson was hurt, didn't play much for England this summer. Van Dyke didn't play for the Dutch. So essentially they should be fairly fresh when a lot of other teams maybe had a lot of guys yeah. going full bore at the Euros or, or at the Copa over the course of the summer. So We'll see how it goes. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, depending on yeah how far your team made it, boy, you put some more miles on the odometer, so to speak. And uh, yeah, I, um, you know, it, it'll be fascinating, but you're right. It's right around the corner and then, um, and then it heats up, boy, I, I just crazy how that all will work, but it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. August 13th, by the way, the official start date for the Premier League season, literally one month from today. It's insane. Yeah. Plus, by the way, too, you mentioned Miles on the odometer. Guys like Pedri, who plays for Barcelona, who was the young player of the tournament for Spain, he's going to play in the Olympics. They're all going to some of these guys because that's a U23 tournament. A lot of these guys are going to go and continue playing for their country in the Olympics in Tokyo. It is unbelievable the number of games and matches and kilometers run that some of these guys have put in. It's, it's just mind boggling. So two quick topics and we close the B side. So two quick and, and, and uh, Brad Schlossman will appreciate this topic is Djokovic. Yeah. I knew, I knew you were going there. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. If you really think about it, it's just quite amazing that you had these two all timers ahead of him. And then he found a way to really exceed 
what those two have done. And uh, just given the fact that he'll end up having won at least two titles in each of the slams and potentially could be three at some stage, who knows, right? He has a chance to win the Grand Slam this year and ultimately the Golden Grand Slam. Only Steffi Graf did that in 88. And so it's really amazing, isn't it? It, Unbelievable. I think if you would have told someone maybe three or four years ago that Federer and Nadal, there's going to be a third guy who's going to be equal or beyond them uh, you know, no, people would say you were crazy. Like, you're kidding me, right? Because the again, Pete Sampras, Sampras had the previous record of 14 Grand Slams. And that 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 was a big number. And, and it seemed like that was pretty insurmountable. And then Federer and Nadal now have 20. And now Djokovic has 20 as well. And these guys are all contemporaries. It's unbelievable. The, the dominance those three have had over the last decade and a half incredible just the longevity of their careers and their excellence i was never a djokovic guy i just thought he was kind of abrasive and brash and not my favorite and he's he's matured and has grown on me over the years and i don't i don't uh, begrudge his success anymore like i used to he's not uh, in my opinion uh, at least uh, he's not as fun to watch as say a fed or a nadal I mean, I, I just enjoy watching those two more the way they play, but you got to have to ultra respect and appreciate what, what Djokovic has done. And, you know, I mean, the way he plays, the way he manages the match is tremendous. You know, if he feels like he's out of it in a set, boom, he's going to give it up. 34 years old, you know, you got to conserve your body and as best you can and, and like you said, he's not done. Like this is where you think, I mean, it'd be tough to see Federer winning another one. Nadal has been so injury prone lately and he's 35. Like he could maybe win the French again, but it's probably not going to get much further than the 20 grand slams that he's got. It seems like Djokovic is still going full steam and nobody is even on the radar of challenging this guy right now. So we'll see how many he gets. It's going to be fun to watch. So then on Sunday, uh, we had the Major League Baseball draft because last year our beloved red sox took a gap year <laughs> and they decided to check out and say that uh we might be on the field but we're not going to play too well and uh that actually helped us get the fourth pick in the draft and that's the, about a higher draft pick as we've had in many 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 years and so uh uh it, baseball's draft is just really unique uh i was i was chatting with someone i worked with uh um back in a previous chapter and he worked in he worked in uh, minor league base major league baseball slash minor league baseball for a long while and just it's interesting between deals that are done prior to the draft because of signability and then there's also financial aspects to each of the slots that you you can put them in and so long story short you could potentially get the best talent quote unquote that people have decided that that's that that you know that potential draftee for that draft class and i think that's what happened to the red sox on, on 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 sunday i think they got this kid by the name of marcelo meyer and when i'm you know, retired and in, in, in sitting there and who knows, just watching the Red Sox. I think I'm going to watch him for hopefully 15 years at some point in time once he comes <laughs> up. 
Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Again, he's a young kid, high school player from California that was rated, you know, the top. There, there were really what four college or high school shortstops that were kind of thought of as these are the, these are the best guys, and he was considered probably the best one, like the best bat above, above average fielder. He slipped to number four, and you talked to anybody in the Red Sox organization, and they did not expect him to be there, and they had not scouted him a whole lot because they just didn't plan on him being available. But young kid, they said he had never. Uh, Never picked up a weight, so he's, he's going to have some room to grow and mature, which is exciting, but he seems to be a very talented prospect. And again, the baseball draft, unlike especially basketball, but football as well, like these guys, as you said, are not going to have an immediate impact. It's going to be years before we see this man in the majors. And we got Xander Bogarts, who's starting the All-Star game tonight, so don't need him right now, but it is cool to think this this guy could be a superstar someday and because the Red Sox were awful one year this is this is the consolation prize that we get for having a, a horrible horrible season last year hey you get a guy that could be the cornerstone on the left side of your infield for years and years to come yeah Heim Bloom uh deserves a lot of credit I mean he is uh taking a a, a team um and has found a way to be incredibly competitive this year and build the farm system uh, simultaneously because he he just now adds to a few others that are in the farm system that fairly bright uh, for for the Red Sox and just a couple of years ago was not looking all that all that good and so um, yeah I mean it, it it is relatively exciting uh, you know to to get him now who knows maybe he doesn't pan out or any of that rot but but you know from all indications his comps right are either Seeger and I saw Chipper Jones as far as his swing is concerned and he's just mm. got pop I mean he's got pop and uh, and I, I hear uh, just a tremendous defensive player as well too very aggressive defensive player so um, I, I it's exciting I mean when I couldn't believe it I you know in, in you know the Red Sox had been linked to the catcher from Louisville um, on all on all the mocks, if you believe that. Then Al Leiter's son from Vanderbilt yep. uh, mm-hmm. was probably not going to make it to four. I think the Red Sox would have strongly considered taking him. But then it was the Tigers, and then uh, the Tigers took a high school pitcher, which just goes back to signability. I, I, there must have been a, there must have been reasons why the Tigers just didn't think that maybe they could sign uh, this kid that the Red Sox drafted. So much behind the scenes, especially in, in, in this particular sport and their draft. And it's confusing and there's a lot of stuff going on and it's you're projecting out. A lot like hockey, same thing. You're projecting out kids who were young, how good they're going to be in a couple of years in certain cases. But as a Red Sox fan, yeah, exciting times that you get this guy here and you get a high draft pick that looks like it might pay off with, uh, yeah, maybe the most talented guy coming out of this draft. A little disappointing uh, losing two out of three to the Phillies to end the uh, first half, but you know, they've played pretty well. So, I mean, I give, give them a lot of credit. I mean, they pitched, they pitched better than I thought they were going to pitch. Bullpen's been pretty good, and they've been scoring runs. First place in the AL East, far cry from where they were 12 months ago. So we will, we will take it. No uh, should be fun to see them compete in the second half of the season for a pennant. Yeah, I think they're going to end up. Uh, I, I don't know when Chris Sale gets back, or or, or if they bring up uh, um, the kid Tanner Houck. But I mean, I think they end up replacing Garrett Richards in the rotation. I think that's it's just a matter of time, honestly. Then it's just, you know, then you you kind of have him somewhere as long relief, or if you want to maybe move him uh, down to Worcester, and you know you have him in, in the bank, so to speak, if you have a, a, any sort of injury. 
Yeah. I think he's Options. he's he's had a little bit of a problem with the uh let's just call it the sticky stuff. <laughs> oh, that's a good place to end on I think for today. So <laughs> uh great to catch up as always Bill. Again, we'll be listening at home we're going to be in touch and we're going to have more regular episodes coming up as August flips over as we get ready for another exciting sports calendar uh, for University of North Dakota Athletics. But these summer episodes have been fun. Good to catch up with you. Excited for more to come in the future. Absolutely, Alex. Appreciate it. Big thanks to Bill, of course, for taking some time. Big thanks to our producer, Cassie Niles. On behalf of Bill and Cassie, I'm Alex Heinert. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your summer. We'll talk to you soon.